Okay, while you remain standing, if you could grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Children, you are dismissed with Miss Joy to jumpstart. And as I always say at this point, who else wants to go to jumpstart? Okay, just me. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 8 and read through verse 17. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." May God bless and add his understanding to the reading of his holy word. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated and let us pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you will open hearts and minds that we would receive from you, from your truth, from your word. As we journey along this way, may we seek your direction and share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome back to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. I'm Richard Evans, your newly renamed Assistant Pastor of Congregational Care. And I love it when things fit together so well. When you're able to see the little pieces of the jigsaw that God is putting together in the church and in your lives. And today it is no coincidence that the passage we're looking at talks about the congregation. How the congregation is to care for one another, to be united together, and also to seek the good of those outside of it. And so we are still in our sermon series, which is Sojourners, Strangers in a Strange Land. But I want to suggest to you today that we will see together from First Peter some very practical and necessary directions for the journey. The journey that we are all on together, not only for ourselves as individuals, not only for each other within the church, but also for those we come into contact with each and every day. Now, it would be remiss of me to not have in mind the recent events in our country as we dive into God's word today. And I believe the very practical advice that God gives us through the words of Peter were words that people at the time received because they were very aware of divisions. They were very aware of persecution and of unrest. They needed and heeded the words, and we need to do so today as well as every generation has before us and every generation will that is yet 
to come. All that to say, as unique as we believe and know our particular situation to be today, God is not unaware of our needs and the experience that we need along the way, the directions for the journey. So, as we read the word today, I want us to have very clearly in mind how this applies to our own lives, the life of our church, our community, our country, and the world. So our reading opens in verse 8. So much in verse 8 that we could camp out there all day. We're going to camp out there for the first probably half of the message this morning. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. That word finally, do not let it fool you. I want to suggest yet again, Peter's a good Presbyterian. When he says finally, he's got at least 20 minutes of good material left and probably he hasn't got to the meat of the message. Now, up until this point, as we've studied First Peter, you might be forgiven for thinking that he's been talking to particular groups within the congregation with some general uh, applicable points for those who are listening. But he's about to lay out now as we move into this thought that he's sharing, of the implications not only for the rest of us, but for every single Christian, for our life and for our witness. Note, as he says, all of you, Jew and Gentile, man and woman, young and old, rich and poor. So if you were any way tempted during last week's message to switch off at certain points when Peter's talking to wives or he's talking to husbands, first of all, I want to suggest you go back and listen again because actually everything is applicable pretty much to all of us in many, many ways. Secondly, if you are thinking, I'm glad I wasn't preaching last week, you're right, but for the wrong reason, because I've preached on that particular passage a number of times, so there would have been less preparation to do. But I'm really glad I wasn't preaching because I think the word that God gave to Dustin was super helpful for me personally and for every single one of us that heard it. And uh, the third thing is, This morning, this passage is as, if not more, challenging for each one of us. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at each one of those practical points of direction uh, in verse 8 to begin with this morning. So firstly, unity of mind. How difficult it is for us to be united in a world that seemingly the only thing we can agree upon is that we don't agree. But the unity that Peter is talking about is beyond having the same opinion. It's beyond that kind of thing. It is talking about the unity of having the mind of Christ. It's the unity that we actively seek as a church body, particularly as a session of elders. And I want to suggest the unity that we need to seek within all of our relationships, families, especially as believers. It leads to a unity that's far more deep and far more important than our different views on current situations and circumstances in the world, in our strange land. Because we're focused upon the destination and we see signposts to it along the journey. As they would say during the Reformation in England, yes, England did have a Reformation, just so you know. One of the phrases they came out with was that they wanted unity without uniformity unity without uniformity after all God has not only created us different 
and yes, even strange, he's created us completely unique. We don't look alike. We don't have the same abilities, the gifts or talents. And yet we're all to be viewed as an important, integral part of the body of Christ. So many places in the Bible we see this time and time again. From the ragtag bunch that Jesus chooses as his 12 disciples, those who would be closest to him, to if you look at the characters within the early church, young and old, male and female, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. And don't think this is something just of the New Testament. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see a bunch of people with very different backgrounds, very different views, and yet... They're all put together somehow. You'd never pick them to play on a team together. But somehow they come together because they seek the mind, even then, of Christ. That unity that can only come from being focused upon God and his purpose and his will. In the days that lie ahead of us in 2021, and I hate to say it, they're going to be as challenging, if not more challenging, than the days of 2020, We must exhibit and seek the mind of Christ and the unity that comes from it alone. Secondly, sympathy. How many of you are sympathetic? How many of you would say you're sympathetic? And I don't mean just when you send a sympathy card or you hit the care emoji on a Facebook post, okay? The ability to come alongside somebody, often at a time of loss, hurt, Not exclusively, but usually during those kind of times. And I think of passages such as Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Within the body, this has to be true. But... It also needs to be true so that we can be a witness to those outside of the body currently. It means that we fundamentally need to be very contrary to the way the world tells us to be. It proclaims for us very often to put ourselves first. To only think of others when it suits our own needs, our own purposes. Now, do not hear what I am not saying. The lesson that I've learned time and time again in ministry that needs to be pushed into my head, and especially over the last two years or so, is self-care. And self-care is important. But the aim of it is so that you can serve other people better. That you can identify with their pain and with their suffering and their sorrow and the situations that they are going through. To sojourn in such a way that we support each other and point others to Jesus, the way, the truth and the life and without the doubt that is the aim of congregational care which not only cares for those who are here within the church but aims to equip and enable us to care for those in our community and yes that is a very unsubtle plug for Stephen ministry yet again if you want to know more please come and see me third Brotherly love. Here we see the specific type of love that we share with those we have a bond with in Christ. 
our brothers and sisters in Christ. The affection that's built upon the bond that we have in him. It's not built upon those we're attracted to because of the way they look, the way they act, their ideals, cultural references, political views, or even our favorite television shows. It's a love that means, again, we will love and act and love based on our devotion to Christ that wants others to not only be well cared for, but have a living, breathing relationship with Jesus. Jesus said himself, in fact, he commands us in this, in John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this is also a love that does not shy away from rebuke and correction. Not words that we particularly like or uh, think about, perhaps. They even can lead to heated discussions. We need to be able to be real with each other. I love the motto of our, our denomination, the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, our group of churches. Uh, and it says this, in essentials, unity... In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Truth in love. It's not just a nice phrase. It's not just something that we quote and we feel good about. We need to truly be living that out. Speaking the truth in love. As an actual sojourner in America... I am bewildered as many by the situation and the circumstances that we saw in our nation's capital just a few days ago. And whichever side of the political divide that you find yourselves, the loss of life is to be grieved. And it's time to focus on the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us. In a moment, we will see in verse 9 perhaps the most a pertinent and actionable verse in our scripture today for that kind of situation and the events of just a few days ago. As we express this brotherly love to all, not just those we agree with or those we love already. Remember Jesus' words in Luke 6, 32 to 36? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Showing brotherly love as we sojourn not only enables our own journey but the journey of those around us. Number four, a tender heart. And Tenderheart is not just a cuddly care bear. Okay, I'm showing my age again, right? I'm a child of the 80s. <laughs> Speaking of which, it was in the mid-80s 
that I think all of us saw the images on our television screens across the world of those starving in Ethiopia. And I first experienced the opposite of a tender heart. I began to experience what we now today call compassion fatigue. The images, as I say, I'm sure we all saw them, that at first elicited from a tender heart, you know, that overflowing need of shock, of eye-opening, of understanding, of caring, of wanting to share, an outpouring of finances and aid. However, in a relatively short amount of time, if you're anything like me, it was about switching the channel over so that you weren't bombarded with those images anymore and you could look at something that didn't elicit those feelings And perhaps what we elicited then was a hardening of our heart, a closing of a tender heart. The feeling that there is so much hurt out there, so much need, that surely we can't do something about it all personally, and it's someone else's job to do it. And this is a reaction and a direction that we need to repent of and look differently at. While it's true we can't give to every worthy cause and help every person in need personally, we can respond with compassion from a tender heart to the needs that God gives us the opportunity and the means to do so. Now, a tender heart is also not a gullible heart. It's one that is strong, it is confident, and can be used by God to minister to the needs of others. Think of the person you meet who's hard, who's closed off, who's defensive and brash. Not the person that you're attracted to, to spend the time with, to try and break down those barriers. But yet, if you look at that person with a tender heart, you look beyond the externals and you begin to question why that person is the way they are. Why are they resistant to the love of Christ? Have they been hurt by someone who perhaps once was very close and now out of self-protection they close all people out from them? Can you think of a time when that was true in your life? Or is it true now, today? Is a tender heart of somebody else the way that God reached into your life and changed your life forever? While we do not think of Jesus having a weak heart, we certainly think of him having a very tender heart for those he came to seek and to save. Showing this is important to others and reaching them for him. Okay, finally in verse 8, remember finally means I'm not even halfway yet. We see a humble mind. Number five, a humble mind. Humility. One of the most vital and effective of characteristics that we need to have in order to follow the direction for the journey and sharing that direction with others. We are to be humble, which is easy because I'm the humblest person I know, right? Okay, all jokes aside. It doesn't mean that we have to be without gifts, we have to be without talents, to use them for Christ, it's about two things. Firstly, realizing we are created by the Creator for His glory. Many will say they feel close to God outside in nature, in creation, nothing wrong with that. But the problem is that we can sometimes shift from feeling close to God to worshiping the creation rather than the Creator. 
And we need to realise that we are part of God's creation. We may be the height of it, but nevertheless, we were created as part of his handiwork and we need to be in awe of him and humbly serve and point to him. Secondly, we have a different point of reference when it comes to comparison. Now, comparison is often not a good thing, but I suggest that every single one of us does it on a regular basis. We can't help it. Whether it's with the best of intentions or we try to compare so that we can justify our own flaws and failings. After all, it's very easy to appear good if we compare ourselves to another flawed human being. But if our true comparison is to be with Christ, we realise we don't measure up, we never can measure up, and we're not meant to. It keeps us humble. In the best sense of the word, again, points us completely to the fact that we are reliant and dependent on God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the difference that we can show to the world as Christians, those we meet along the way. It's all about Jesus. It's about living like him, serving like him, and sharing him. So the last characteristic is actually in verse 9. And as I said, is one I think is so clearly in need all of the time, but particularly very poignant in the last few days. After all, it's number six, it's forgiveness. Verse nine, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. If only we would, as Christians, exhibit that verse word for word. Because I sense division, disagreement, and the pull of the sides of this world pulling us apart, calling us to take sides rather than work together for the kingdom of God. Being sucked into the actions of others, demonizing those we disagree with, rather than having intelligent and life-affirming conversations. I often learn more from those I disagree with than those who are coming from the same perspective. And yes, there are times that I'm not proud to say I have done far from bless others. I have argued, shouted, cursed and bad-mouthed just like the rest of us. And as I read that verse, I take it to heart that there have been situations like that and there are situations like that in my own life that I need to be repentant of. And also, as one of your pastors, as a brother in Christ, I implore you to read that verse and seek your own hearts and ask God to search out the real desires of your heart and actions and words. Don't just follow the crowd or act without thinking. Consider how Jesus would direct us to act out our faith as we travel this life together, being good witnesses to him. In Luke 6, 28, we're told to bless others even when they curse us. Easier said than done, but with Christ, all things are possible and essential and can be part of our everyday lives. Paul says it well in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, Peter goes on 
to quote the Old Testament. We've said this before. He does this all over the place. And here he actually is uh, quoting Psalm 34. 34 is a psalm that talks about those who are acceptable to God and those who God doesn't receive. Verses 10 to 12. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Just as Pastor Dustin mentioned in last week's passage, there is a very stern warning about our prayers being hindered because of our action or inaction. And we must take this seriously. So let us seek and pursue peace as we are directed on the sore journey. By the way, that is not a word, but anybody think it should be one? Okay, there's a few of us. We'll get it in the dictionary yet. (laughs) But as we do journey, as we do sojourn, that is the peace that we are to pursue. Next, we will see Peter returns to the theme that he did mention in passing last week, that there will be suffering along the road, caused even by our devotion and loyalty to Christ. Verses 13 and 14. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now this isn't a quote from the Old Testament, but you'd be forgiven for thinking it was. It's certainly influenced by the words that we find there in passages such as Isaiah 50 verse 9 and Isaiah 8 verse 13. 50 verse 9, behold the Lord God helps me who will declare me guilty. Chapter 8 verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And I couldn't help but want to share Philippians 3, 8 to 11 as they came to mind. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. All of this, all of this is preparing us for the the words in verse 15, the work we have to do in verse 15. Some of the most practical and essential action we as Christians have at our disposal, not only directly for us, for the journey, but for those and the benefit of others. Verse 15, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Very straightforward instructions for evangelism. Put God first and foremost in your life. Know that Jesus is the only one who saves. He is Lord not only of the church, not only of Christians, but of you personally. Then always be prepared. Anybody in the scouts? Oh, come on, we've got to have more than two scouts, right? Okay, some of you are in the scouts. You at least know the motto. Be prepared. At a moment's notice, at the drop of a hat, there and then, in that moment, not 
Come back later and I'll think about it. But share there and then. How many times a day do we have the opportunity to do just that by answering this question? I want to suggest it sometimes looks like somebody asking for direction. Saying, what way would you go? What way should I go? What way are you going? The way, why are you going the way you're going through this life? Why do you journey the way you do? And the asking can come in so many different ways as well, can't it? Each and every day. This week, one of our church members was in my office. We were, we were chatting away. He was telling me that he'd been with some friends that morning and he told them that he'd just received the vaccine. His friends told him he was crazy for getting the vaccine. Why, would he, why on earth would he do that? And he said, because it means I can continue my ministry to people. The ministry God has called me to in the hospital to minister to people. What an opportunity to talk about the hope that is in him. See, you can hear the question, what is the hope within you, when the question is not even being asked. A different question is being asked. Because it's part of everything we are, everything we do, everything we say, our witness to Jesus. Now, talking of hope, in there it says talk, it talks of hope in. Hope in, not hope for. So it's not hope for who will win an election. It's not hope for if my hot water bottle will stay warm the whole night. Or when the next season of The Mandalorian will come out. Anybody with me? Okay. Boys, boys upstairs are, they, you just can't hear them. It's hope in. Who's that hope in? Jesus. It's the Sunday school answer, but it's the right one. It's not some vague hope of something that might happen, but the hope in the promise of God that has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ and for the first time and will be brought to completion when he returns. I mentioned scouts earlier. Well, there weren't many in here and I wasn't in the scouts. I was in the boys brigade. And instead of be prepared, we had the motto sure and steadfast. And it comes from Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the hope that we have within us that we offer a defense of. Now, before you think for a moment that you cannot give this kind of direction, this kind of defense, this direction for the journey when asked, please know you're being asked to to share your story, which ultimately is his story, but you're asked to share your story, not anybody else's. William Barclay, the great commentator, puts it this way. Our faith must be a first-hand discovery, not a second-hand story. Don't be repeating someone else's story. Tell your story of how God has entered into your life, worked in your life, why you've believed in him and why you have hope in him. Each one of our stories will be unique in the telling. They will have some of the same story elements, however, the characters, Bible passages, and each one will be compelling because it's shared honestly and openly. For me, it began when I was five years old at an adventure Bible club at a Presbyterian church in Wales. For Alex, my wife, it started at 25 in a Southern Baptist church in Annapolis, Maryland. For some of you, 
It's started in recent days. It might even be starting today. The story continues to develop. It has scenes that are added to it as we journey, as we sojourn through this life. But the central character is Jesus, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He came to save you by being born in a manger, living a sinless life, following his Father's will, dying on a cross, being raised to life, and he is going to be returning. Notice, when we share this narrative, we're to do it with gentleness and respect. Because the aim is always to draw people to Jesus for the first time and for them to have saving knowledge. And for those who already know him to be drawn closer. Now finally, and I do mean it this time, Peter ends this passage with the reminder of the hardship that will come our way and the need for us to stick with the journey. Verses 16 and 17, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. As we sojourn, let us be assured of God's presence with us. It's his will that stands behind us, enables us to have a clear conscience and even the ability to not do evil. He has changed our hearts so that we might be witnesses to him and signposts to him, even with all the pressures of this world. So let us always be ready to share directions for the journey with unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, forgiveness, and a defense for the reason for the hope that is within us, with everyone. To his name be the glory, the honor, and the praise now and forever. Let us pray. Father, we know you are here, and we are thankful. We are thankful that you speak truth through your word, because it is truth itself. May we take what you are planting in our hearts today, share it with others, to truly give a defense for the hope that is within us today and every day we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.